Welcome to the Secure Ed podcast. I'm Mike Matranga with Mike Monsiv. Mike Monsiv, owner of ASAP Security Services. We're in the ASAP Security Studio, and today we're going to talk to you about House Bill 13, which is being proposed in the Texas legislature, the 88th legislation, which currently comes to a conclusion in about two weeks. And so one of the things that we want to talk to you today about is House Bill 13, uh, which is also known as the Sentinel Bill. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, there's a bill uh, that is being proposed in the Texas House that would um, essentially uh, grant $25,000 as a stipend to educators who wanted to carry a weapon on campus. Um, this is a controversial topic that I think that we need to discuss openly and honestly and without politics um, being involved. Mike, you're aware of the House Bill 13. Um, $25,000 stipend for Texas educators to carry a weapon. What are your thoughts on that? The intent to try to provide firepower to fight firepower in general is a good idea, right? Uh, however, teachers are not the, the right way to do that. Our teachers are already underpaid, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the $25,000 stipend is attractive to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And we may actually have people who have never had firearms before. Uh, maybe the significant other is familiar with firearms. Maybe they've you know deer hunted or bird hunted or something like that, and feel that uh, you know you could just go and get a gun, go to the range, um, practice, and that all of a sudden now you're you're competent to carry a gun. Um, one of the things that I think really puts this into perspective. Uh, for me is the classes that you've held recently, right? Where mm -hmm. um, it was actually a course that you put together um, at a dojo or karate place that had specialists right. for weapons retention. Mm -hmm. And I think the eye-opening uh, part of that was the people who went there who are proficient with firearms who carry firearms every single yeah. day, how easy it was to take a weapon from right. that individual, right? And these yeah. are pro trained professionals. Yeah, so uh, what you're talking about is a class that we held, M6 Global and uh, Condition One Combat Center in the Woodlands, Texas, with uh, instructors, um, Matt Smith, who's very well versed in uh, jujitsu, weapons retention. He helped write some of the curriculum for the United States Army. And then Joe Morris, who's the owner of Condition One Combat, good friend of ours. Um, we we hold a lot of these trainings through their location, I guess I should say, because I trust them. Um, I know what, what experience that they have. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of the people that were in these classes uh, that we held were very proficient with weapons. Uh, some of them carry weapons as a professional on a daily basis. And we were able to see how somebody who doesn't carry a weapon right. every single day <clears throat> was able to take the weapon away. Correct. Consistently. Correct. And, and that's the thing I think that, you know, is interfering with the judgment of some of our legislators is that they think that, you know, just simply by carrying a weapon that that makes someone proficient or going through an eight hour class or even a 16 hour class, if you've got the guardian program, or let's say the Marshalls program, which is you know T. Cole sponsored. You've got 80 hours. You can add additional hours. You know what I will tell you um, is that any professional in this space, tactical operations, 
law enforcement. You know, I'm a former counter assault team member for the presidential uh, detail. Um, it takes a minimum of 100 hours uh, on an annual basis to become proficient. That's proficiency. That's not necessarily being an expert at anything. And so you tell me where we're going to have teachers who are already overworked, underpaid, underappreciated, that are you know, being required to stay over for duty or you know, work through their lunch period or teacher work days, teacher work days. summer in session. Where are we going to be able to get them a minimum of, minimum of 100 hours to make them proficient in carrying a weapon? I think that a lot of times people who are making these rules um, have never been in a life and death situation. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I vividly remember being in a couple of situations uh, where there was cause for me to to draw a firearm uh -huh. uh, to protect uh, my family. Right. And um, after the event was over, um, you know, we were able to to uh, get out of harm's way and and uh, get through that situation. But after that event, you know, the thing that runs through your head is what if, what if I had to have done that? Mm -hmm. What if these types of things? And you find yourself, I guess, analyzing the situation, like every micro detail of what else could you have done? Is there some other way? And, you know, the the emotions involved with mm -hmm. this, the, the, the legality of whether, you know, it's justified or not justified, being able to separate emotion out of the situation, right. um, that's difficult for our own professionals, right? I mean, for, for trained professionals day mm -hmm. in and day out, right? It, it, they are uh, having that fight for life adrenaline situation and when is force justified and right. when is not right let me and, ask you this and uh, you know I, I i've said this a, a bunch um you know in the times in my career where i've had to draw my weapon um and i think the same can be said for you know military other law enforcement civilians that have had to draw their weapons in a real life scenario what was your body's physiological response to that how did you respond sluggish right sluggish so the best right way i could put it is that uh things that you practiced uh, that were, you know, absolutely perfection in practice. Mm -hmm. And I say perfection, perfection for me. Right. right. It could always it's be, all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. Right. But things that you were able to do over and over again, it, uh, you know, repetitively with, with accuracy, everything was very sluggish as far as uh, how, how your body operated, how, how things worked. And you're not only trying to process everything that's going on, but the scene. In my, in my own personal situation, it was very, very chaotic. So thrown into it very quickly and knew that our life was in danger and I, I had to do something to protect it. And we worked to get ourselves out of that situation yeah. um, and, and were able to. Right. Um, and so... You know, thinking about that in a school is 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 one thing about being able to handle that, being able to be put into those situations and training over and over and over again. I mean, you and I talk about already people in schools having emergency plans and them not practicing it enough, right? Right. This just becomes another one of those things that 
okay, I went to the range, I went and I did this and I put it back in there. And now I've been carrying this in my purse or on my person and I haven't touched it. And it's full of lint. It isn't properly maintained. It uh, isn't oiled. Uh, you know, it, the spring on the uh, clip is getting wore out because it's been constantly loaded and hasn't ever had it's any It's got Cheetos in down in there because you've had it in your purse. So. Absolutely. It's, yeah. Or it's got lotion on it. Yeah. It's got whatever, right? And mm -hmm. all of these things are real. And uh, you put it in that situation. Uh, it, it's extremely hard. Yeah. To, to think that we're going to get a positive result out of yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, listen, I want to be clear. Um, in no way are we saying that that it that no teachers or educators should carry a weapon. Correct. Because what we do know is that in some instances, um, that armed teacher may be your first line of defense. You know, uh, we know that Texas is a massive state. You know, we've been in districts in far west Texas uh, or even in east Texas. Uh, that I, or I central Texas, just in, in general, even in in major rural area, I mean major uh, metropolitan areas, as you stretch further and further out right. uh, from the city's epicenter, the response time is yep. is crazy. I mean, we were at a, a commercial facility. Oh yeah, and the best possible response time was what 20, 20, minutes? 20 something minutes. Yeah, and and that was going to be a single officer. Right, um, and in that situation. Uh, that was a really important facility. Mm -hmm. And to think that that's the kind of response. That's why it's so important to have you and I come in and look at how do you protect a facility right. because every single facility is different. It's different. Right. There's no blanket ap approach. And I think that's that's kind of what our legislature, uh, whether it be state or, or at the federal level, is attempting to do is let's create a blanket approach. And I, I do believe there should be some things that are standard you know, camera systems, access control, mass notification, behavioral threat analysis, whatnot. But when well, it, there's there's standards for fire alarm, there's standards right. for cannabis facilities, there's standards for critical infrastructure, right. right? Why do we have standards for all of these things, but we don't have them for well, security? You know, I both know we sat with a, a U.S. congressman's chief of staff here just a couple of weeks ago, right. walked out of that very frustrated um, because it appears that the, the federal government um, doesn't want to have a basic standard for schools just like they did for fire alarms in schools and for other buildings. I would take it's, it a step further than that. Uh, they don't want the risk the and the liability. Right? Then when it flows down to the state, the state uh, has a whole bunch of entities and people who basically are hands off. And so we have legislators who are out actually trying to pass laws with good intent. I, I honestly believe that. Yeah. I think that there are some some really good legislation that's out there. I think that there's a bunch of nonsense. I mean, when you look at the amount of education-related bills mm -hmm. that are actually being considered, have been discussed, time, effort, energy for people writing it, focus has been applied to it, it absolute nonsense. We have so much other things that mm -hmm. need to be done and we're worried about hurting somebody's feeling or celebrating some type yeah. of event or some type of person with a career in this and let's give them a, a statewide day. And it, how many of those bills did we What did was we the see? What was the one we reviewed the other day that was a statewide day for something? There was a bunch of them. I there was like counselor day and there was uh, SRO day and there was administrator day. I mean, that all feels good. It, it but at does. the end of the day, what is that? It's not solving anything. Well. 
we have so much more business to do. Right, that's than what I'm saying. That, right, like yeah, kids are dying, uh, teachers are getting shot, but they're underpaid and under. But our paid representatives are are focusing on that. Even saying that, there is some decent legislation out there. There are things that they're talking about, but are they getting the priority over this such and such day? I, I don't know. I don't well, see it. I think the problem is is that you know we've got legislators that are you know focused on political agenda and promoting political party uh, over protecting people. And when I talk about protecting people, I'm saying everybody, all people. You know, we're Texans, we're Americans. But I think that the way we view people is not the same that they view people. And a lot of these people will say that, no, we represent everyone. But when you look at their legislative efforts, they're representing their party and their base. And so one of the ones in particular is this House Bill 13 that we're talking about, you know, teachers carrying weapons. The Sentinel program, $25,000 as a stipend to encourage teachers to want to carry a weapon. To me, that's an insult to teachers. if we have $25,000 to pay mm-hmm. teachers to carry a weapon, we have $25,000 to invest into things like behavioral health, mental health counseling, um, increased teacher pay. That there would, that would uh, really boast uh, you know, morale. Uh, my wife's been a, an educator for 24 years now. You know, she's got a master's degree. Uh, principal certification, all of her special education certifications. She teaches dyslexia. Um, she makes $64,000 a year. And some people will say, well, yeah, you know, that she gets three months off in the summer. Right. But at the end of the day, she's educating America's kids, right? And so, you know, we want to get serious about this. Let's stop looking at political narratives pushing, you know, things like this Sentinel program and House Bill 13. You know, it's all you have to do is just dig down into the details. If you look at it, those that are pushing things like carrying weapons, teachers carrying weapons, they're always Republicans. Well, you know, Republicans have a history with the NRA promoting the Second Amendment. I want to be clear. I am a avid Second Amendment person. Right. I support the Second Amendment wholeheartedly. But what I do know is that we have to be responsible Part of being uh, a gun owner is that we're responsible gun owners. And we have to understand that we do have a crisis in America when it comes to guns. I get this question all the time. Do we have a mental health problem or a gun problem in Texas or in the United States? Right. And you know what my answer is? We have both. Both. We have both because we have people that don't want to accept the fact that we are living in a sick society, that we are growing more violent every day. that these things that we're seeing on a more frequent base are not going to be receding. In fact, I think there's going to be more volume of these attacks in our shopping malls, in our grocery stores, in our schools, in our places of business, our places of worship. Um, and so, well, but you know, I think it, the elephant in the room that we haven't even discussed about yet is uh, not just weapons retention, but actually. Uh, keeping track of the weapon, right? We've already seen in Texas a superintendent. Just a couple right? days ago, like a couple weeks ago, yeah, right? They uh, left his gun in the bathroom, yes. right? It was found by a student. This is somebody who um, was familiar with weapons, had the approval and all the necessary things to carry a weapon mm-hmm. on campus. Um, 
But this isn't actually unique to individuals. I mean, professionals have done this, yeah. right? Um, it, it is something that you have to be hyper aware of. Now we throw that into a teacher and a teacher um, you know, can't necessarily carry uh, with the clothing that they're wearing, right? Um, or their uh, profession, whatever it may be, may be very active uh, and weapon falls out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, they think that uh, they're going to be able to keep it in a purse or a bag or in their desk, right? Um, those types of things, um, you know, become a problem, right? Yeah. Because now we've already seen where um, just a couple of weeks ago we had a um, assistant principal here at a uh, Houston school that was trying to break up a fight in the entire uh, uh Grade grade level was, in, I think it was a ninth grade class. Uh-huh. Stomped her right. Uh-huh. Um, that she was trying to do her right the right thing and separate the kids, and instead of kids trying to help her or whatever, the entire crowd started attacking her uh-huh. and stomped her to the point that she had was in critical condition and had to be taken away to a hospital and now, was put out. A, put a weapon in that scenario. Yeah, now we have a weapon. She's a car- she's a gun carrier. Right. What happens then? That's a, that's my point, right? Is you know, it's not just weapons retention; it's this mob mentality that that's out there as well. And now, now there's a gun in that situation. We already have, you know, adrenaline and, and emotion super high because the fight's going on. And currently, there's no weapon in this scenario. And now you've entered a weapon. Right? So let's let's just put a couple things into perspective that probably our legislator uh, legislators are not thinking about. Same scenario. She's got a gun. Let's replace that with an SRO. SRO is a licensed law enforcement officer who has the right and authorization to defend themselves. If they're being stomped by 15 people, that he or she has a right to use deadly force if they feel it's necessary, right? right. If there's going to be, you know, loss of life or limb, right? right. Essentially, you know, significant bodily injury. Which, let's be clear, that could have happened in this scenario. Well, but does the same thing apply to these teachers, these sentinels? Do they have the ability to defend themselves in the event that they are attacked? Because the intent of the bill is that they defend others. How many times have we sat with a school and had the conversation about insurance and liability? Like, if we would do this, could what is the liability on this? Can we get insurance for it? What if this person who's carrying a weapon, you know, uh, does end up taking a life? Or, or not, and um, you know, as we have seen from Uvalde, right? The families from Uvalde sued everybody, like I'm, I mean, as they should the, have. The the down to well, I agree to disagree on some of that, right? So, okay. um, the the manufacturers of a door, okay, door yeah, frame, maybe not that, but a, a general contractor. Talking about those responsible, the company who put the door in the, you know, on and on and on and on, every single solitary person, and 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 the reality is, is I think there's just lawyers, right? They, they want to get everybody they could possibly get in a room and see how much money they could get out of the out of the whole scenario, which which is also wrong, right? right? Hold the people accountable who need to be held accountable. Uh, you know the blanket lawsuits across the board. I, I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, right? But I, it, it's a legal strategy, and I, I understand it. it. It's just not necessarily. No, I, I understand right. the legal strategy, but I mean we know that there were people that were involved there that had or were designated 
to be in charge and have the, have the authority to make certain decisions that were not made, those people absolutely should be held responsible. 100% agree. Uh, 100% agree. And I want to be clear on that. I, yeah. do, I do agree on that. And, um, you know, even, uh, you know, the, the processes and, and making sure that things were inspected, right? We talk right. about compliance, oh, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you and I have created a tool specifically to give transparency to compliance so that we can't ever have someone say, well, I didn't know. For the whole state. Right. And yet it seems like it's an uphill battle for us to get it accepted. So, well, this is, this, we'll see. this circles back full circle back to the legislators, right? The legislator starts off, they have, you know, good intent and they pass a law that maybe, uh, you know, resolves an issue. Okay. And then that is then handed down to some type of administrative body and the administrative body, similar to the schools who are concerned about liability, put their hands up and go, no, 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 we don't want to do this. Well, they don't want to be part of the perfect example is after Uvalde, um, you know, in my testimony with uh, Director McGraw uh, with the uh, Texas Department of Public Safety, uh, uh, TEA Commissioner Morath and the Texas uh, School Safety Center uh, Director Martinez Prather. Um, you know, it was discovered in that uh, testimony that only, you know, a little less than 200 schools out of almost 1,200 had completed their mandated audits that was passed in 2019. This was in 2022 right. when Uvalde happened. And, you know, the majority of the Senate, none of them really knew that, that, that they had that low of a compliance rating. And so, which is what generated us to create this software and this tool that would do that. Let's talk about that. Every one of these bills, when, we're have, when they have to go forward, there has to be, man, I hate, I hate to say this, but similar to a child, right? You're, you're teaching them and you must do this or there's a consequence. Right. When you pass legislations and you have agencies that want to be hands off, right? And there's zero consequence. If you were running a major school district, what what reason would you comply? There's there's no consequence. there's no consequence there's exactly no consequence right right to it. Uh, okay yes well we've I had some flat out tell us that right. we're not going to comply because what are they going to do exactly you know okay. I mean that's what some of them have literally said that to us I I hundred percent agree and uh, that's the problem right mm-hmm. is that when we see uh, situation after situation for non-compliance and it's because there's no consequence, maybe that needs to change. Well, I think it absolutely needs to change. And I do think that there's go- there's some good you know, progress moving forward after that testimony because people were embarrassed that day. And, you know, to, uh, to Dr. Uh, Martin- but, but, well, hold on. Really? <laughs> well, what, what, let's, let's be serious. What, what, what consequences have been applied? Okay, now we have a tool. We well, have no one lost their job. We have... We have that that they're going in there, but the state still doesn't know today at the click of a button who is well, compliant. In, right? in defense of the Texas School Safety Center, they are not a regulatory agency. 100%. So, understand. you know, my argument, even in 2018, 2019, when I helped contribute to the testimonies that led to that bill, was that that should have never fallen under the Texas School Safety Center's responsibility to force compliance anyway. They're not a regulatory agency, and so I agree with uh, with Dr. Uh, Martinez Prather. Um, I agree with her one hundred percent, and nothing has changed. Point, at some point, somebody I has agree. to do something. I one hundred percent agree. They have to take responsibility for the legislation. They have to enforce it. They have to put a process in. It it, it has to get there, 
and we're now what arguably almost the four year? years we're four years after SB four years 11. after santa fe well after SB five years after santa fe tomorrow four years after sb 11's passage right one year after Uvalde, mm -hmm. and not much has changed not much has changed not much has changed and at all there are what hundreds let's just say hundreds of education related legislation yeah and we're focused on you know hey we're going to celebrate groundskeeper day I don't get it, man. Yeah. Um, or, hey, let's go give $50 million for shields. It, it's got to change, right? And I think that it's going to take parents' involvement, getting involved with school, going to the Capitol, going and talking to your legislator and saying, we got to do more, right? We've seen recently, uh, just, just the other day in Allen, right? Um, mm -hmm. And it was not just unique Allen, but there was a... A national or statewide walkout day of students yeah. who were talking about security, and um, somehow it's it's shocking to me that the students are more vocal mm. and more engaged than the parents. Yeah, how can this be? Well, I mean, being a former school board member, I mean, I uh, you know I was executive director of security at Texas City. We led a great program, uh, Texas ranked, nationally ranked. Uh, then I became a school board member. Very seldom would we have parents come and ask about the security protocols and procedures that we had in place. We would have infractions daily and weekly. No one came uh, except for one individual who is a consistent warrior who continues to fight for the safety and security of those kids um, at Texas City ISD. I mean, perfect example. We had a student stabbed two months ago on our campus seven times on video. Um, and we had a long conversation and, a, and an open meeting about that. And we have a security director that referred to this child's wounds as pokes when she sustained Yikes. stabs to seven parts of her body, seven different areas of her body. Um, and receive stitches in every single one of those. And Tough so, question. what's that? Do you think if that was his child, they would be considered pokes? Well, he doesn't have children, so, but no, they wouldn't be considered pokes. There we go. And so I was enraged at that, which, which is what led me to leave. I didn't want to be a part of that. I resigned for multiple reasons, but that's one of the reasons why I resigned, is if we didn't have a security director that understood, on video, we watched the child get stabbed seven times, and then minimized her injuries, I have the a problem, problem with that. The, the problem is, is that this is just one scenario that, um, again, what's gonna change? Nothing changes, right? It goes back in there, and this is why parents have to get involved. And, and it's whether, uh, the other thing I think that is prolonging this, right, as far as you know, why there's not so much uh, thing in the center. You and I have a unique, visibility right uh -huh. so um so many times we go into whatever organization and it's not just related to school but in order to help them secure their facility they essentially need to dump their purse out on the desk right like yeah. we got to get in the weeds we got to figure out what problems that they are aware of that they yeah. have and then we will go in and also identify all the problems that they're not aware of right. that they have and then being able to put together a plan on how to fix those a roadmap of how to get there within their budgets, whatever that may be, mm -hmm. how to utilize the planning process, how to utilize the actual uh, memorandum of understandings, 
um, how to get other agencies involved, how to involve technology to detect and document. And so we have a unique level of visibility where we've seen a lot of stuff, right? right? We've seen uh, lots of schools, um, really fantastic ones that have their stuff really together and well-documented. And we've seen the opposite side where things are just total chaos. I mean, um, and so what is surprising to me is I believe that there is an absolute change in media coverage. I already, schools don't report incidents. Mm -hmm. And there are so many guns, so many knives, weapons, fights, altercations, stabbings, things that happen on a school campus that get swept under the rug that nobody knows about. And our legislators, I would argue all the way up to TEA, Texas School Safety Center, legislators don't really have a full picture Uh of what the schools are actually dealing with because it's not reported. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's there's a very, very strong metric of things that get measured get improved and things that don't get measured will never improve. Right. And so we have all these people <clears throat> who are hands off going, I don't want the liability to know the information, but we're never going to fix this until we um, make it to where it's it's not an offense to report yeah. the issue. When we when we <laughs> penalize them, and I, I know this is some double talk here, and I said <laughs> yeah. earlier that there had to be some consequences, yeah. but reporting is not one of them, right? They yeah. need to be able to report, so we have visibility of who needs the resources. Well, the problem is, is not at the, it's a, that's not at the state level. That's at the federal level, you know, because um, you and I both know we've been in districts and, and having assessed uh, multiple behaviors and kids that were on this pathway to violence the reporting is not as accurate as, as it should be. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's not as accurate as it should be is because you know if you report accurately, you get deemed an unsafe school by the federal government, which affects your funding, which affects your socioeconomic status. You get you know deemed that unsafe school, who's gonna wanna move to your neighborhood? Who's gonna wanna move to your community, right? And so, yeah, it's a self-inflicted wound. For one of our shows, there's a slew of websites out there that that rank schools, mm-hmm. right? Independent companies that look at, you know, what's the socioeconomic uh, status of the school um, and what is their test scores, what is their uh, criminal rate, is there a safe school, are they a blue ribbon school, are they right. or whatever, and then basically rate them nationally on what this number is. And so I feel like schools are also concerned about... Um, this information getting out, but somehow, some way, even if it's going to a specific entity, right? And that this is not unique. Uh, other organizations have this, right? Um, and cannabis OIG. industry, well, like no, like a almost like a an, an inspector general, right? Like somebody yeah. who's going to be able to to be the authoritative power over that. Wait, did you say inspector general? Uh, I did you yeah. did? No, I think Imagine I said that. this in. Uh, Somewhere between June of 2018 and December of 2018, that there should be a governing body that would oversee this, similar to an inspector general. Yet it's five years later. We celebrate the five-year anniversary of Santa Fe tomorrow. I wouldn't say celebrate, but yes, it well, is the five-year anniversary. Correct. We're not celebrating. We mourn. Right. There you so go. that's the proper term. Um, but 
we have the five-year anniversary approaching tomorrow, and yet it doesn't seem like much has happened. We've had bills passed, but there's no compliance. No one has lost their job. No one has mm -hmm. been held accountable, and we just continue to keep kicking the can down the road. We have had government entities tell us that we don't want to see the data. It makes us liable, and that's a shame. And the problem is, is that the parents don't understand this. The parents are not uh, actively engaged. And I always promote, you know, go speak to your um, representative, speak to, you know, at the state level, at the federal level. But more importantly, before you do that, speak at the local level. Go directly to your school board and hold them accountable. Ask them what their processes are. Become informed. Yeah, become Ask. informed. You may not, they, and they don't have to share with you the plan for operational security reasons, Correct. but you have a right as a taxpayer and as a parent to go advocate for your kid. If you know Absolutely. something's going on, whether it be bullying, you know, vaping at a high rate, which is what we're seeing now, um, weapons being brought on campus, fights, gang activity, go ask them what they are doing. Hold them accountable. Make them uphold their oath to you, the taxpayer, the voter. And so, you know, when we start getting parents more involved, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit of the tide changing because, you know, one of the things that motivates uh, politicians is voters. You get a group of really pissed off voters in this space, I think that you're going to start seeing some serious change. Hopefully. I hope so. Yeah. Um, it, it needs to happen, right? I mean, it has to. Um, you know, what's interesting about all of this is that um, some of the things that we have seen, the positive um, responses of, of the anonymous reporting mm -hmm. and how many schools still don't have anonymous reporting yeah. and how it's not required, right? right? And I think if people measured that and that was public information of how that was done, um, you and I are both fathers of daughters mm -hmm. and um, something unique about daughters specifically, and it's not unique, totally unique to them, but something that I've noticed the difference between having a son and a daughter is that they know all the business that goes on on that campus. Absolutely. They know who's connected to who, who's dating who, mm -hmm. who, whatever. They, they know what's going on, right? Yeah. And they have a, a higher level of, of uh, information gathering and awareness than I would say traditionally boys do, right? Right. And, um, it, you know, I think that, uh, after seeing the positive results, and 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 I hate to say the words near misses, but how many times that anonymous reporting led to an arrest mm -hmm. and or someone getting admitted to get the mental health yeah. uh, work I mean, that they need, and and and, it, and it's one of those things that we talk with other agencies whose job is to do this, and mm -hmm. um, you know, like office emergency management people, right? They never get the do when everything goes great, right? Yeah. Like, hey, we just hosted this major event and all these people came to town and went to this event and nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, emergency staff was there, everything was prepared. There yep. was a couple of little things the public didn't even wear of it. Right. Office of Emergency Management never gets any notice of that. Uh, the police department doesn't get anything right. in there, but the moment that anything goes wrong, they're right, only measured by their failures. Their failures, and yeah. that's the same in the schools, right? Yeah. And so, I, I just 
firsthand seeing the power yeah. of that, you know? There's some great things that happen on, on every campus in America every single day, man. Absolutely. You know, um, and I think, you know, if you'd have asked me three years ago what the biggest hurdle was, I would say that it would be, you know, administrators not wanting to do some of these things. You know, now that I'm on this side, um, I honestly feel bad for our educational administrators. I do too. You know, they're being, you know, shovel-fed a bunch of nonsense um, with no real direction, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why I always tell people is, listen, let us come in, M6 Global, ASAP uh, Security Services, let us take that burden off of your shoulders. How many right? times have we sat there and the people around the table are just this huge sigh of relief yeah. and I'm so thankful that y'all are here. I'm so thankful, whatever. And when we're able to you know, put together plans and implement technology and we train on it and 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 you can just see everybody in the yeah. room get excited right because they they know they know what to do uh-huh. in the event of an emergency they have quick reference to it technology is telling them to do that their their building is telling them something's not wrong not, not right you know something oh. is in there and being able to effectively communicate that on something that was trained and planned right. and was it is uh, done by a professional. Even going deeper than that, I mean, you know, one of the most important components to all of this is the behavioral threat assessment, right? I've told people this a hundred times and I'll continue to say it. The foundation of every security plan, it doesn't matter if it's protecting the president of the United States or if it's protecting America's kids, those that want to attack us are always signaling some type of behavior that leads us to believe that they want to do us harm. You know, if you look at the the most recent publication from the United States Secret Service that was published in January, we just had another one that came out yesterday, The Bystander. It's It's a supplement to the report that came out in 2008 that said that at least one means of communication in all of these incidents had occurred before these people took action, right? And so looking back at the January 2023 release, um, they investigated 173 cases from 2016 until uh, uh, 2022. And there was 180 attackers in those 173 instances. And 100% of all those attackers, they all exhibited the same signs and symptoms. And so, you know, imagine the power that we could have by just simply having a process of identifying these kids based upon their patterns of behaviors, not only kids, but even adults, because we know that you're more likely to have, um, you know, an active shooter or a workplace violence incident than you are an attack on a school. On a school, you're more likely to have a, a suicidal kid than you are a homicidal kid. And so you talk about, you know, are we ever measured? I can tell you at Texas City, uh, we had a pretty good process and we knew which kids were the ones that we needed to watch, not punitively, but from, you know, just a general overview and curiosity of, you know, they're exhibiting signs and symptoms of pre-attack behavior, whether it be themselves or on someone else. And I can tell you, we were in the double digits of kids that we made contact with that wanted to hurt themselves. And we were able to get them the help that they need. Do you think that the general public in Texas City knows that? 
They absolutely don't. Let me put you in the hot seat for a moment, though. Okay. Uh oh. So that was that was when you were safety and security director. Correct. Right? And so many times we have seen we've gone into an organization where there might be some framework or there may have been plans that were there, and at some point there was some type of foundational knowledge. It has not been updated. It might be a decade old. Oh yeah. And and it ha- it doesn't take into consideration today's current threats or how the landscape had changed around the facility or whatever, because that person left, mm-hmm. right? And so these were things that you were doing, and now that you're not in that position, do you think that those same things are happening? Do they still have those those knowledge? Is that outreach? Happening, I can one hundred percent say, I don't believe so. Okay, um, but that's that's part of this process, right? And I think that's where we have to get engaged with the organizations and not individuals, right? Right, because it's life. People come and go; they just do. And so it's one of those things that it's got to be repeatable. It's got to be a training. There's got to be a training program in there to train new people. Right. And uh, you know, as we look at all of our services in there, and we do these trainings, you know, part of this is is recording those, making them available online, um, so that if a new person comes in, based off of whatever their job description is, they can get that training, right. uh, that they know the process and putting those together and documenting that. And um, I, I think that's a critical piece because. You know, we're we're in different times. You know, the right. the world where you used to go to work and uh, you know have uh, work till retirement and the same job. Yeah, those days are over. It, yeah, and so there there is just a natural churn mm-hmm. uh, post COVID. It's just accelerated yeah. that right. We had all the people who have silently quitted, and you know all of these different phenomenons that have happened yeah. over and over again. And so as we look at just the churn of employment in these critical roles. Um, I think that the, the training component of this is as equally as important as the planning and implementation right. process no, and I being agree. able to repetitively train. Well, consistently staying on top of the processes that we knew were working is important, but the problem is we have this, this turnover. You have different ideas and different philosophies, but you know we go, it goes back to the creating a standard. The standard is, and that for decades now, we've known that behavioral threat assessment and identification of people who want to do harm through patterns of behavior is key. And so therefore, I don't understand why that ever changed. You know, I'm not saying that we did it 100% right every time, but what we were doing was effective. Why it's not being done at the same scale or the same way, I don't know. I have no idea. So circling back to H, H, House Bill 13, right? yeah. that's what we're talking about, we started with, um, and the behavioral health side. How much focus is on it going into the mental health of these teachers that are carrying it? I mean, look, teachers are dealing with more than they ever oh, yeah. have, right? Oh, the, yeah. The overall just, uh, you know, disrespect, the stress uh, they're dealing with students. They may have been teaching, you know, fifth grade math, and now, you know, kids are so far behind and they didn't get the third grade uh, mm-hmm. uh, fundamentals. And now they're coming to fifth grade, yep. and this teacher's teaching something that they've known in and out. And now they're having to make adjustments because mm-hmm. of the fall off of the uh, fundamentals, you know, especially due to COVID, right? Um, 
And so there's just this tremendous amount of stress, I feel. Like you can you can just feel it, right? Just in general, uh-huh. people are willing to snap there. And so now you're motivated by money, this $25,000 stipend. <laughs> um, how how much effort and energy and, and who's going to be the regulatory body that's going to do the mental fitness evaluation. We have everybody else well, who's going to turn around and say, even, I don't want to be, I don't well, want any, any liability. They so haven't who's even going to go and, and take that They off? haven't even figured out a, a smooth process to get compliance for the SB 11 component <laughs> that was passed four years ago. So I don't understand why we continue to push more legislation that's going to require more processes that we can't even, we yeah. can't even do the simple stuff. Let, well, right. Or let's work on fixing what's already been passed. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's, let's spend some time on that. Well, let's, um, let's, uh, let's conclude. I appreciate it. And yeah. we'll, uh, we'll fix, uh, we'll come back and parents we'll, get involved. Yes. Yeah, right? You got to get mean, involved. That's where it comes back to. It's a, parents, PTAs, other organizations get involved. Get involved. Absolutely. Um, start pushing them to, you to do the right thing. Uh, if they need guidance, reach out to us uh, in Six Glo- uh, Global and ASAP Security Services. All right. Thanks. Thanks.